Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about my self-coaching course, which will help working moms in high-stress jobs overcome self-doubt, rumination, and worry so that you can finally enjoy your career, feel confident, and find balance. I created this course about a year ago now, and it has helped so many women who are trying so hard to be good at their jobs and to be the best mom they can be and are just struggling because they think that they're not good enough at either job. And the best thing about this course is that it's totally self-paced. The videos are short and sweet, and there's tons of activities to go along with, and you can pick and choose the ones that are going to help you the most for where you're struggling right now. You will get lifetime access to the course, including any updates or anything I add in the future, and the ability to email me for email coaching for the first 30 days of your subscription. You will learn simple, actionable solutions for overcoming self-doubt. You will develop genuine and lasting confidence no matter what happens at work or how crazy your kids behave in public. And you will gain the skills to leave work at work so you can feel balanced and stop dreading your work days. So check that course out at kristenyatesdo.com forward slash courts. Let's jump into today's episode. Dr. Bonnie Koo is a certified life coach, physician, and founder of Wealthy Mom MD. She is a proud graduate of Barnard College and Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. Her mission is to help women create wealth and rewrite history. She is the host of the Wealthy Mom MD podcast and author of Defining Wealth for Women, Peace, Purpose, and Plenty of Cash, which is coming out in early 2022. Bonnie, thank you for being here with me today. It's great to have you. Thanks for being here. So I like to just jump right in and I want you to tell me all of the things that come to your mind when we, when we bring up the topic of imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Oh, such a, such a big topic. Let me, mm-hmm. think. so, you know, obviously I coach you know specifically on money. So there's just, I see a lot of self-doubt just in people thinking on what they're capable of. I guess what I've learned at this point, Kristen, is that self-doubt is supposed to be there and it'll always be there. I used to think it was a huge problem, right? Especially when I first became a coach, like, oh, if I reach this certain pinnacle, I will never have those thoughts again. And then you learn that's not true. And that was very mm-hmm. disappointed when that happened. And I was like, oh, they're always going to be there. And so now it's just a matter of not having drama about having those types of thoughts creep in. And I think knowing that all of us have them, no matter how quote unquote successful you are. And I think the difference between someone who appears confident and someone who maybe isn't so confident is how much like airtime are they giving to those self-doubt fears? I love that distinction and everything that you said, which is basically like my mission statement embodied, (laughs) because I think it's very important because I think... I know for me, looking back when I was really struggling with self-doubt, I thought that everyone who's confident, like the goal was to not have self-doubt at all, instead of the recognition, exactly like you said, that it's a matter of turning the volume down, not a matter of completely getting rid of it. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about your journey, because you have so much wisdom and you've made a lot of transitions and transitions can be a time for many people for the self-doubt to creep in again. So, you know, going from 
becoming, you were, you were a doctor and then adding in life coaching and then podcasting and now author, you know, so you've made so many incredible transitions. Have you noticed that the volume of that self-doubt has, has creeped in during any of those transitions? Oh, a hundred percent. In fact, one of the things I do now is if the volume on the self-doubt is higher than usual, I, I pay attention. And what I mean by that is that's sort of how I know that I should be doing something mm-hmm. versus not doing something, right? Because I think most people would be like, oh, this means I shouldn't do this. Or it's a sign that I shouldn't do this. And now mm-hmm. I really see, oh, that means I'm stretching myself. That means I'm doing something that's a little out of my comfort zone. Like to me, that's just like the signal that that's happening. And so with any sort of new change, that definitely the self, like when I first started doing a podcast, like it's not even so much self-doubt. I think I was like literally terrified. Yeah. <laughs> the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, which is interesting, right? Because I was, I wouldn't say I'm 100% comfortable with public speaking, but I'd done public speaking. It's not, it's not like I hadn't been in the public face before, but something about podcasting where like my voice was going to be like permanently out there was a little bit unsettling versus like writing a blog post, which just seemed a lot more low risk. So I truly believe my first several podcasts, I'm not saying they're bad, but like I could definitely hear that I was a little awkward in them, Mm -hmm. like looking back now. And, but I think that's okay. And I think for anyone who's trying to start something new, I think it's important for people to see that there's like, there is an evolution, like you said, like you don't like, you don't come out of the gates being, being like perfect from the get go. Mm -hmm. You become perfect, whatever that means to you, like you get better by sucking. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. And I think it's as uncomfortable as it is, especially for physicians to like embrace that sucking phase. It's kind of like that. No, we're not. And it's kind of like the price of admission to the next thing, like the next part of your growth. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people stuck is that they have a desire to grow and get better or try something new, but the self-doubt or the concern about looking stupid prevents any motion at all. Yeah. And then, and like our sort of intolerance to failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so how does that translate for you? I'd love to talk more about the money world. Cause I know that's, you're such an expert in that, in that world right now. And it's not a topic that I've touched on yet on my podcast. And I would love to know the mindset aspect of that. Like that must be one of the first hurdles that people have to overcome is the mindset they have about money and finances and that sort of thing in general. Yeah. I I always say the first step, and this is for like any sort of coaching thing is first step is always awareness. Mm -hmm. And so what that means for in my world is like, what is your awareness around how you think about money? It's just like with anything, once you pay attention to it, like I don't think people really realize all these, all this drama they've added to money. Mm-hmm. And the way I define money is like, it's just a tool and it's what we use to exchange for value. Like that's it. Everything else is drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a lot of drama about it. And then since I coach, you know, specifically women physicians, you know, basically type A successful women, there's another layer on top of money, which is the fact that, you know, as a society, women couldn't even like own their own money until pretty recently in terms of like mm-hmm. the history of men and women ever living mm-hmm. on earth, right? Like we've been here for what, a few thousand years, but the laws have only been in our favor since the late seventies. Like I don't, a lot of people don't know that actually. 
And I, I think it's important to understand the history because, you know, living in a patriarchy, all stuff, because it explains why so many women are so not confident when it comes to money. Because when you look at a type A successful woman, like a woman physician who clearly was smart enough to get through all that training, and then we, we make really important decisions all day long as doctors, when you think of the dichotomy of how we're like confident as a doctor, but then we're like so not confident when it comes to money, like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense logically. But it does when you understand the history and how basically there's all these layers of, I guess you call them societal beliefs or norms that we've absorbed as women. And so like, so I like to unpack that at first. So there's like, there's a lot of layers, so I'm not going to go into all of them, but like, I'm sure, well, I'm curious, Kristen, you tell me, like, how are you taught about money growing up? Like, were you taught it was good? Were you taught it was bad? Were you taught debt was good? Debt was bad? Like, I feel like we all get messages like that growing up. Yeah, I think um, I'm working on my own. Like, this is some, this is a topic that I realized I have a lot of um, beliefs about that are certainly limiting. And I think for me, it was the old, like, you know, the very generic, like, money doesn't grow on trees. Like, that costs a lot of money. It does. I know. And it was, so that's it. So that's what I'm trying to figure out because I do have it, it. Basically I have the sense that I'm working through that it's a limited resource. Don't have too much of it because that makes you greedy. Yeah. And those beliefs that are like really, I think subtle in, in a lot of ways that I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. But those beliefs, so many people share, it's not just you, like it's, mm -hmm. it's, if I, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's probably like 90 plus percent of the US, the world population believes that, mm -hmm. right? And so, and then because we, we, and because so many people are in agreement, we think it's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I basically give my clients permission to want to be rich. Because mm -hmm. I feel like we think, oh, we're not really allowed to want that. We shouldn't want that. Oh, it's yeah. You just and where does that come greedy. from? Is it this? Is it do a lot of women have this sense of greed, or what is the aversion to admitting that desire for wealth? Well, I think what we both just talked about, just mm -hmm. that we shouldn't because we will look greedy, mm -hmm. or we're we and also as women, we we care deeply about what other people think about us at the expense of our own opinion, right? And so we're worried what other people think if they find out we want like if you if someone said to you Kristen I want to be really rich our initial like opinion of that is probably negative mm -hmm. right versus if someone said hey I really want to like get healthier and lose weight we'd probably have a positive opinion of that yeah so even just like I just throw like things like that out there because it just I think it just shows us so easily just where our minds are at with with regard to money that's such a good point because when you said that, I it was almost like this initial, like the first second was like a gut response that obviously, <laughs> right, right. And it's obviously, and now that I know, like in my mind, I'm trying to work through that because I don't believe that to be the case, like being rich is bad and um, having wealth is bad. But it's so funny that obviously I still have some deconditioning to do around societal norms and what it's okay to believe. Yeah. I mean, the rich are kind of villainized in the press. Yeah. I was just like, I don't watch the news, but it's always on in my home. And I just, just just caught like a little segment about rich people don't pay enough taxes. And I'm not saying like they should or they shouldn't, but it's just interesting. Like they're bad because they're not doing this. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And how often is the news talking about like the philanthropy and the all of the good or the jobs that are provided and those kinds of things that are equally as true? Yeah. And then not, this is not about income taxes, but I was actually thinking about this, like, why do we all think we're supposed to pay a lot of income taxes? Like that's 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 just a thing I always hear people mm-hmm. talk like people rich people don't pay enough income taxes, but they do pay a lot of taxes, maybe not income taxes. So I was just thinking about that. So that's something I'm going to have to noodle on a bit if that's yeah. If that's like a fair measure of like their fair share, right? Anyway. What they should be paying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to circle back to something you mentioned right at the beginning and it was about women not being aware or of the capabilities they have with regard to money and achieving wealth. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in the light of self-doubt and that kind of thing. Like what kind of negative, like limiting beliefs are people having that are, that are blunting their ability to see their, what they're really capable of? Yeah. Great question. So I think the first thing I want to say about that is, you know, all of us, like I said, all of us have self-doubt. But some of these sort of self-doubt or recurring self-doubt themes, they come from society and then we internalize it, right? And so just to give you an example, Kristen, if you look at how people talk about money that's geared towards women versus men, and I should say girls versus boys because it starts Mm -hmm. at a young age, we're, we're given different messages about money as like little girls. Like boys are kind of taught oh, money is power, you should want to be rich. And girls are taught, oh, don't spend too much money. Kind of like, don't eat too much. Like it's that diet mentality, but like it's the same thing with like dieting and money can just be like, just like substitute food for money. Mm-hmm. And you'll see like the messages are like very similar. And like, you know, the articles for women are like, they talk about spending and like fiscal restraint as if like we're out of control. And so we get this message from a young age that we're not good with money, that we have a spending problem, that it's something that we have to control because we're out of control. And so I think a lot of self-doubt comes from that. And then tack on all the societal beliefs that you shouldn't want more money and you should be nice to everyone. Like we're, we're, we're just judged a lot differently than, than a man is. Right. And so I guess the question is, so how do you unpack that? I think it's just first under, it's always like number one is awareness. Like what are you actually telling yourself about your ability to make money? Because this is what I hear from a lot of doctors who not all of them necessarily want to quit medicine, but some of them want to pivot. And they'll say things like, well, I don't want to work full time. So I guess I can't make more than X Mm -hmm. or well, I don't know how to do anything else besides doctoring. So I don't think I can make as much money doing something else. Like I hear a lot of that. And, you know, since you and I are both coaches and entrepreneurs and have friends outside of the normal circles of doctors, like mm-hmm. it's like normal, it's it's like normal to pivot and to reinvent yourself. And like our, it's just, I've noticed a lot of doctors think they can't make money doing something else. And they really equate their ability to make money based on some hourly wage, or we have to go to school to learn a new skill in order to make money. Because that's kind of yeah. how we've been taught, right? Go to school, work hard, study hard, get a job. And so they're like, oh, if I want to do something else that's not seeing patients, I have to study, get mm-hmm. another degree or something right. like that. And then I see a lot of reluctance in investing that type of time again. Because it took a long time to become a doctor, right? Yeah, I think that's such a good point um, about the pivot in particular. Because I was just talking about this this past weekend where 
I think that we are raised in general, and I think certainly for doctors who have all this, you know, this decade long path of becoming a physician, like that it's this arrival fallacy, right. That we, that we talk about a lot where we're just supposed to work really hard towards something for a long time and then get somewhere and then just rinse and repeat and do the same thing forever. And I think that's kind of what society we're like, we're led to believe in many ways. Like that's what I thought I would just become a doctor. And then I would just be an OBGYN until I retired. And then I would die. Like I didn't give any thought to the fact that I would continue to change and grow beyond that. So the first time it happened, it was really unwelcome. I did not welcome it openly. I was like, this is, this is dumb. Like I just worked for 12 years to be a doctor. And now I'm like, what's next. It was really irritating to me, but now I have this understanding, especially in the world that I've you know been introduced to where this is normal, where we are just constantly making little pivots or sometimes bigger pivots. And that's kind of like what we're supposed to be doing. And it's no wonder that physicians feel stuck in their life. And it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they need to continue to grow and expand. Yeah. And there's two things to that. One is I do think, and I think Brooke says this too, Brooke Castillo, that it's sort of our natural state to want to grow and be a contribution. And I think for physicians, like, obviously, we've got that contribution thing down, right? And that growth part down. But yeah, when we arrive and become attending, a lot of us are like, now what? Mm-hmm. Unless you're like an academics where you're like, still, achieve, you know, going, there's probably something to achieve. But I think for a lot of us who end up in prior practice, it becomes stagnant and kind of boring. And our, our brains kind of freak out because we're used to learning and always up leveling. So I think there's that part. And I think the second part, which you talked about the arrival fallacy is, we it's like this thought error, right? That, well, we'll be happy once we're there. Everything will be fine once we're attending. I think that was like what all of us thought. Mm-hmm. And then we became attendings. We're like, what? This, not that this is it, right? Like, I don't want to like right. say like, it's not wonderful. But then like, the next goal is like, okay, now I got to figure out how to retire. So then I could be happy. And that yes. created this whole movement, which I'm sure you're familiar with the fire movement, which I think is, I don't agree with it. Like, at least it's initial premise. Like, it's basically like, well, life sucks. So let's just figure out how to have as much, make as much money as possible, as quickly as possible so we can retire and then we'll be happy. Yeah. You know, I think you and I probably both teach our clients, like you have to have that capacity to feel happy now at, mm-hmm. at, with whatever you have. And this includes money because a lot of people feel like, oh, I won't feel secure until I have X amount of dollars in the bank. And again, it's that fallacy that you'll feel secure. And, but if you don't fix your brain, the thing is when you get to that number, it actually gets worse because then you're so afraid of losing that money mm. if you don't like, you know, clean up how your brain thinks about money. Yeah. So it's almost like you're perpetuating the attachment that money and security go together with that. Belief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's what a lot of people think, like once they have a certain mm-hmm. money, money that they'll feel better. But notice that most of us made a huge jump in income between residency and attending hood and it didn't really change. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. 100%. Because then it's like, oh, well, now I have to pay back my loans and then I have to do this. And there's all, there's, it's so right. Like there's always some, there's always going to be something else until you decide, like, I'm going to make my life be what I want it to be now. And money is part of it. Yeah. So I'd love to end um, with you telling us a little bit about your book, if you don't mind, that's coming out next year. Do you mind giving us a little um, snapshot about who, who it's for and what we're going to get from it? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called Defining Wealth for Women, Peace, Purpose, and Plenty of Cash. And it's basically 
it's not a how-to book. It's not a, you know, how to make a budget, or, although there's some elements of that, but it's really like explaining all the brain science and history of why money seems hard for women. So obviously it's meant for women. It's called Defining Wealth for Women, although men can certainly benefit from the book as well because men have human brains too, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be really important for women to read so that they understand why they feel the way they do. Because I think there's so, and I'm sure you see with their clients, Kristen, is like even just knowing that other people feel the same way and have the same thoughts and feelings like that mm -hmm. in itself is so, it's just huge, right? Yeah. To know that you're not alone. Yeah. And so to like read a book that shows you like, of course you're feeling stressed about money and here's why, like there's an explanation behind it and then here's how to change it and here's what's actually possible. And I don't, I don't ever tell people you should aim for this amount of money because it's, it's really different for every person what they want. I mean, some people want, are happy with what they have. They just want to feel like they're doing everything that they can. And then there's mm -hmm. some women who I coach who realize, no, I want to be really freaking rich. And they have like huge number of goals and they're just like, why not? Like what's, what's the, what's the downside that I don't reach the goal, but like I'm already there anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait to, um, to read it and we'll leave a, a link to where to find you on social media and your website and everything. And also check out your podcast, which is wealthy mom MD. Everything's wealthy mom MD. Perfect. That's what I thought. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for, ha for being here and, and chatting with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.